I stopped outside a church house where the citizens like to sit. They say they want the kingdom. Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter. I'm Sean McCraney, your host on this Pioneer Day 2007. Lots to celebrate. Listen, if you have friends or family in another part of the world who want to watch Heart of the Matter, tell them to go to www.bornagainmormon.com. Go to the TV shows, click on that, and they can go to instructions on how they can watch streaming video. should come up easily and quickly. In the house tonight, we have Micah, we have Kevin Bradford, and we have Gerald Puckett. A great group to watch. The others must be out partying for Pioneer Day. Shout out Dan at Savon. Andy for the Truth article. It's a little article I'm going to read in a second. Uh, Lou B., thank you so much. Cambria, thank you, sister. It's a beautiful uh, photography and artwork. Dorothy uh, Weaver, God bless you, and Terry and Helen T., thank you so much. And of course, Chris and Gordon, thank you for uh, all that you do. Remember tonight, squatters, uh, right after the show, about 9.30, if you want to come down, sit and talk, uh, Squatters Pub on 3rd South in downtown Salt Lake City. And let's have a prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for this airtime. We thank you for the opportunities. We ask you, Lord, to be... Uh, with our staff, with people who volunteer, people at home, that your spirit will be uh, there to teach and guide and help them see truth from er error. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. First, um, the moment I completed my research for this week's show and writing up uh, my notes and thoughts, I walked into the bathroom and I shaved my beard. I did this in re response to several things, but most importantly, most pressing, was my complete revulsion to the things I had been reading. And I thought to myself, why am I holding off shaving and suffering with this thing in my mouth every day when the church needs to renounce some of its history immediately? And I can't think of a better day to renounce polygamy the practice of it, the continued endorsement of it, the Doctrine and Covenants 132 of it, then Pioneer Day, the day when Brigham Young said this is the right place and the Mormons settled in the state of Utah among the Ute Indians. And uh, no better day for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, otherwise known as the Mormons, to totally turn from the doctrines of polygamy and renounce Doctrine and Covenants 132. As we go into this message, you'll understand why. At the end of the message, I'm going to do as I promised, except about five months earlier, 
and burn the beard. We'll see how that goes in just a second. I'm going to continue to cover the lives of the secret polygamous wives of Joseph Smith tonight. So far, we've discussed Fanny Alger and Lucinda Pendleton, two very uh, interesting figures in Mormon history and uh, polygamous history. Prior to obtaining and translating the Golden Plates, Joseph Smith's family was friends with a family named the Beemans. They, the Beemans were known to hunt for buried treasure with the Smiths, and Father Beeman was recognized in the area as a successful rodsman, someone who could use the rod to find buried treasure, and scryer. And if you remember from previous shows, a scryer was someone who could take a rock and look in the reflections of it and see where treasure was buried in the earth. Later, when Joseph Smith Jr. announced that he had obtained the golden plates from the earth, Father Beeman assisted Joseph in hiding the box where he said the golden plates were in, uh, in and around the town or around the home. The Beeman family, who had a daughter named Louisa, accepted the Mormon gospel, probably at the hands of Joseph Young and his brother Brigham Young, a name that you recognize readily, and even gave Joseph, the family even gave Joseph Smith Jr. a place to stay in 1834 when Louisa was 19 or 20 years of age. Louisa wrote that the conversation Joseph provided at that time was, quote, meat and drink to me. He was having an influence on Louisa when she was 19. In the same year, her father was advised by Joseph Smith to move the family to Kirtland, Ohio, which he did. But three years later, he died, and Louisa and her mother and sister ultimately landed in Nauvoo, Illinois in 1839, when Louisa was now 24 years old. A year later, her mother died, and it was then that Joseph secretly revealed to Louisa's brother-in-law, a man whose name was Noble, what he called the principle, or the plurality of wives. Joseph said that, quote, an angel of the Lord had commanded him in the said order of marriage, end quote. He then asked Noble to officiate in marrying him to his sister-in-law, Louisa, adding, quote, In revealing this to you, I have placed my life in your hands. Therefore, do not in an evil hour betray me to mine enemies. Louisa, being a true disciple of Smith, agreed to participate in this polygamous marriage and dressing up as a man, went into the woods with Joseph Smith and was polygamously married to him with Noble reciting the words that Smith gave him. Smith was 35, she was 26 when she became wife number four. In a court testimony in 1892, Noble reported that after he had married Smith to his sister-in-law, he said to him, quote, blow out the lights and get into bed and you will be safer there and he took my advice, end quote. But Noble also testified that he did not see the couple actually getting into bed together, but that, quote, Smith told me they did. LDS author Todd Compton writes, quote, There is no good reason to doubt that Louisa's marriage to Smith included sexuality, end quote. When asked under oath in the same court testimony, where did Joseph and Louisa sleep together, Noble testified, quote, Right across the river at my house they slept together, end quote. 
I, the reason I bring these uh, things to light is because many LDS don't know about Joseph's polygamous marriages, don't know he had a minimum of 33 extra uh, wives, and if they do know it, they often excuse it by saying he never had relationships with them, which I don't understand the thinking behind it, but they seem to justify this taking on other wives by saying he never had relationships with them. And in this case, we have testimony from the man who actually married them uh, that they did. After Joseph Smith died, Louisa became a polygamous wife of another leading brethren of the church, Brigham Young. Interestingly enough, and for reasons not completely understood, when Joseph Smith was shot and killed, the ruling members of the LDS Church, especially Brigham Young and Heber C. Kimball, stepped forward and made his polygamous wives their own, if they were willing. Of Joseph's polygamous wives, Brigham Young married seven to nine of them. Heber C. Kimball married 11 of them. George A. Smith and Amasa Lyman married one each, and other prominent church leaders took some wives for themselves. Louisa was sealed to Brigham Young for time, with Young standing in as proxy for the deceased Smith, whom she was sealed to for eternity. So just to clear this up, after Joseph Smith was martyred, or killed, I should say, Brigham Young went in with his polygamous wife, Louisa, and Brigham Young stood in there as a proxy for Joseph Smith, meaning he stood in as Joseph Smith to seal Louisa to him for eternity, but Louisa was then sealed to Brigham for time, meaning here on this earth. Okay, So Brigham had Louisa as a wife while on earth, but as soon as Louisa died, she became Joseph's eternal wife. This happened all the time. Louisa bore young twins, Brigham Young twins, Hiram and Joseph. Both of them died. She bore him another son whom they named Moroni, who died in his childhood of teething and canker. She bore another set of twins from Young, who they named Alva and Alma. They died too. In 1850, Louisa began to suffer with breast cancer that went untreated. Four horrific years later of suffering, she passed away in the state of Utah. She was the first plural wife of Joseph uh, that Joseph took in the great Mormon city of Nauvoo. When her sexual liaisons with Smith produced no, while, where her sexual relations produced no children from Smith, her subsequent marriage to Smith's successor, Brigham Young, produced a number of offspring and introduced us to the more practical side of polygamy that we know better here in the state of Utah. Lots of women punching out babies from the holy loins of a single man. That was the practical side to polygamy. Joseph had a spiritual, sexual side to it that was secret, and Brigham made it open, practical, and sexual at the same time. We also begin to see in Louisa's case trends that begin to take hold in the lives of women who are involved in polygamy. And these, these trends include two major themes. One more sororal relationships. It's a weird word, but sororal means sisterly relationships. These polygamous wives often develop these sisterhoods with each other that help them get through the other byproduct of polygamy, which was extreme loneliness. With the exception of a few visits over the course of 10 years, these women were virtually alone. 
So that's why Todd Compton, LDS author, titles the book that he wrote In Sacred Loneliness, because they were extremely lonely and left to fend for themselves, even physically, were not provided for by these men who took them as wives. In many cases, some cases they were, but it was very lonely, very destitute, and they also began to have these sororal relationships with their other sister wives. Where Luis's tale of polygamy was simple and sorrowful, the story of Joseph Smith's fifth wife is categorically amazing. Partly because of the amount of documentation available to us about it, but more so because of the frankly demented accounts of how this thing went down and how normal they considered it to be. She was born Zina Diantha Huntington. She was a woman of great ability. She possessed a profound er a work ethic in spite of some health problems she had her whole life. And she was afford afforded a substantial Christian upbringing before she became LDS. Her early journal writings present her as an intelligent, warm, but highly fanatical person when it came to religious themes. In 1831, when she was 10 years old, her father, a strict Presbyterian, declared that none of the churches on the earth were right. As you recall from previous shows, this common opinion of the day was known as primitivism or restorationist movement, where the people at the time were looking for the true church of Jesus to be restored back to the earth or the primitive church to be brought back to the earth. When Zinna's father uh, heard that the name Joseph Smith and prophet associated with it, he was very anxious to meet this prophet, but he couldn't leave the town, but a neighbor did. And the neighbor went to the town, and when he returned, he said, quote, a prophet is once again on the earth. And he also brought with him a Book of Mormon. Now, we get a glimpse into Zinna's fanatical religious nature when we read from her own handwriting what she did when she simply touched the Book of Mormon. This is what she wrote. I saw the Book of Mormon, that strange new book, lying on the sill of our sitting room. I went up to the window, picked it up, and the sweet influence of the Holy Spirit accompanied it to such an extent that I pressed it to my bosom in a rapture of delight, murmuring as I did so, this is the truth, truth, truth. Sounds to me like a perfect candidate for polygamy later on. After having a heavenly vision, Zinna was baptized by Hiram Smith when she was 14 years of age. Zinna was gifted with many spiritual giftings, including overpowering spiritual manifestations that she had in the woods. She became a prolific speaker of tongues and was one of the most noted speaker of tongues in early church history. By the way, Mormons typically do not speak in tongues the way you would, as a Christian, normally hear tongues being spoken. They believe tongues are more manifested by people learning other foreign languages and being able to speak that way. She was also even recorded, she reportedly reported that she raised a man from the dead, and when she did it, it scared her so much that she ran away and the man fell back down dead. Uh, in 1836, Joseph Smith once again counseled her father to sell an absolutely exquisite farm where they lived and moved to Kirtland, Ohio, and this is what the family did. Surprisingly, the family, though apparently strict Presbyterians, believed that the temple in Kirtland was an exact replica of the temple that was in Jerusalem. I'm always amazed when Latter-day Saints believe that the temples 
somehow in any way, shape or form replicate the temple, Herod's temple or Solomon's temple uh, in any way, shape or form. But somehow, because both of them are called temples, they think that they're the same and they really have no comparison whatsoever. Zina was also so wild in her visions and things, she saw angels fill this temple singing in heavenly choirs. Now living within the influence of Joseph Smith himself in Kirtland, Ohio, Zina's father put almost all their money in the Kirtland anti-bank uh, situation that Joseph established and lost it all. In 1837, he also lost all of his land. He was once a prominent and well-off farmer, lost everything at the hands of the prophet. The family suffered great financial hardship, even to the point of going hungry at times, but helping to offset such woe was the fact that Mr. Huntington, Zinna's father, was made a high counselor, which would be an equivalent of a general authority in the church today. The family then moved to Missouri, where Zinna wrote that the trip was akin to the exodus that they experienced in the Bible. They relocated a year later in Nauvoo, Illinois, where Zinna's mother died. The family was so sick, many couldn't attend the, her funeral. Because of the illness, and this is a key, Joseph invited them, the remainder, to live with he and Emma. This is just another instance where Joseph picked a wife from people who lived with him before he picked them. Many cases we see Joseph invite these young girls with their families or without to come live with he and Emma, and later on he makes them their wife, his wife. Ironically, Zena actually met her first husband while living under the roof of jo Joseph Smith. His name was Henry Jacobs, and he was described in several places in church history as being startling, startlingly handsome. Henry was a 70 in the church and was called to serve many missions at the time, uh, one before they were married and many after. While living with the Smiths and grieving over the loss of her mother, Zinna was comforted by Joseph. She asked the prophet if she would know her mother in the next life. Certainly you will, he replied. More than that, you will meet and become acquainted with your eternal mother, the wife of your father in heaven. Quote, and I then have a mother in heaven, exclaimed the teenager. Joseph replied, quote, you assuredly have. How can a father claim his title unless there were also a mother to share that parenthood? End quote. This was the beginning of the idea that there is a mother in heaven in LDS theology. As a point of interest, a woman named Eliza R. Snow learned of this special extra-biblical doctrine of a mother in heaven from this conversation, and she wrote a Mormon favorite hymn that they still sing today called, Oh My Father, where she is addressing her heavenly father and her heavenly mother in prayer. In that song, the, uh, the Mormons today sing about their heavenly mother who resides in heaven and how they long to be with her again. Family tradition, which re reveals an exceptional propensity toward heavenly visions, states that Zinna saw her dead mother many times after her death and communicated with her. After Zinna's mother died, her father married Lydia Partridge, who had two daughters. Those two daughters became two of Joseph Smith's polygamous wives, too. It almost seems like any woman within a five-mile vicinity of where Joseph was living became one of his wives during this period of time. It blows my mind. So here is Zinna romantically in love with a man named Henry Jacobs, and somewhere 
while being courted by the handsome Jacobs, Joseph the prophet introduces her to the principal or to plural marriage and says, will you marry me? Zina is torn on a number of accounts. First, she believes Joseph Smith is a prophet. Second, she's in love with Jacobs. Third, she probably respected and had a friendship with Emma, and she knew Emma would never agree to such an arrangement. So she was wondering, should I follow the man I believe is the prophet, or should I follow God, my friendship to Emma, the man I love, Henry Jacobs? It seems that Zina put the prophet off and he, she didn't address him or she flatly rejected him. Now, Joseph Smith was not accustomed to being rejected by people, uh, especially by women. And it made him more determined and he put more pressure on her. And she was in a dilemma and she wrote, quote, Oh, dear heaven, grant me wisdom. Help me know the way. In early 1841, she made her choice. She married the handsome Henry Jacobs. Henry was close to Joseph, as was Zinna, and they even asked Joseph if he would do the sealing or the marriage for them. Joseph said he would. But when the day came to be married, Joseph did not show, and the mayor of, the, of Nauvoo, uh, John Bennett, was the one who performed the ceremony. Not many days later, the newlyweds were walking through town, and they came to Joseph face to face and asked him, why didn't you show up and marry us? Why didn't you even come to our, our wedding? And with the braven chutzpah only Joseph Smith could muster, he said, quote, The Lord made it known to me that you, Zena, is supposed to be my celestial wife. By the way, that's correct English. If you wanted to hear how he would have said it, The Lord made it known to me that you, Zena, is supposed to be my celestial wife. Smith also suggested that she and Henry could continue to live together in earthly matrimony. Amazingly enough, Henry Jacobs agreed to this. He said, go ahead and marry my wife eternally and we'll just continue to live together. But Zinna resisted. She didn't, she didn't like the idea. So in October, October of the same year, Joseph sent Zinna's brother to her with a message. It said, quote, an angel with a drawn sword has stood over Smith and told him that if he did not establish polygamy, he would lose his petition and his life. Now seven months pregnant, Zena acquiesced, and then her writing stopped. Henry and Zena continued to live together as husband and wife, uh, though uh, a week after their first son was born, the church sent Henry on a mission to Chicago. A year later, he was called on another three-month mission to New York, arriving home in October. Six months later, he was sent to Tennessee to campaign for Joseph Smith's presidential aspirations. During that time, Zinna picked writing back up, and while Henry was out of the state, recorded that she and her husband, quote, attended a Masonic ritual together. This husband was Joseph Smith. Shortly thereafter, Joseph Smith was shot. Compton writes that Zinna and her children with Henry were sealed to Smith. So Zinna and Henry had children, and they were sealed to Joseph Smith for eternity while she remained tied to Henry for life. Now after Joseph was dead, if a woman, after Joseph died, if the woman that was sealed to him had a faithful husband, that woman would continue to live with the faithful husband. If the woman who was sealed to him had an unfaithful husband in the church, I don't mean unfaithful to her, but not a good Mormon, 
a Mormon leader could come in and take her as his wife and leave that unfaithful husband in the dust without a wife. This was the way it was with the exception of Zina. Zina's husband, Henry, was a faithful husband. He was going on missions while Joseph was taking his wife out on dates. And Joseph was killed, but this didn't suffice. Brigham stepped in and he worked his way in to have her sealed to him for a, a time. So not only this, later on, while Henry was on a mission, she began to live with Brigham Young. And her husband Henry, who loved Zina with all his heart, learned about this while he was on his mission, that they were cohabitating together because uh, he became, she was his new wife here on earth. Long story short, and this is when I decided to get the razor out and put it to my throat and start cutting the hair off. Long story short, Henry Jacobs was a faithful LDS man who had a wife he loved, had children by her. Joseph first took her from him. When he died, Brigham then took her from him and lived with her and uh, unknown to him. This caused him to go in and pick up an extra wife on the way back from one of his missions trips, which turned out to be a disaster for him. And in the end, we have letters written by Henry that are so beautiful and so please come back to me and she would have nothing to do with them when the saints came uh, on Pioneer Day to Utah and established themselves here in this valley. Henry Jacobs was not a bad man. Henry Jacobs just did not have the higher priesthood callings that Brigham Young did or Joseph did and therefore Zina uh, was not his property to have for eternity or for even time. Interestingly enough, Brigham Young had Henry, uh, uh, Henry Jacobs disfellowshipped because he tried to get uh, Zina back as his wife here in Utah. So they used ecclesiastical abuse to punish this faithful LDS member because he simply wanted his wife back. There's no reason in the world I'm going to continue to grow this thing that takes an otherwise handsome face and makes me ugly when they have the ugliest, sickest, most demented, man-centered doctrine on the earth there in their doctrine and covenants, and it remains today. There's the thing. If you're LDS and, re and you want to stay in that, in that church, go ahead. But stand up and at least get something to change. And at least say, renounce Doctrine and Covenants 132. Take out that idea that in order to become a god, you have to practice plural marriage. Gordon B. Hinckley, this is the fourth show we've done on polygamy. You should stand up and renounce it. The countercult ministries throughout the world, every one of us should unite and say, just get rid of Doctrine and Covenants 132. Just everybody focus on, tell the media they still have Doctrine and Covenants 132. The church continues to deny that they practice polygamy. They practice it spiritually, they believe in it eternally, and it's still part of their doctrine. And it accomplishes nothing but destroying families' lives, both in loneliness, both in uh, the, the women feeling like they've been betrayed, and husbands feeling like they've been betrayed too. So with that, we're going to open up our phone lines at 801-973-8820, 801-973-8820, and I am going to torch this beard. I don't know if I can. It won't torch. There we go. 
Oh, and it just smells to high heaven. Burn your doctrines, Mormon church. Here's your polygamy right there. Maybe there's some symbolism in it taking a while to do. No kidding. All right. As, the call, as we wait for callers uh, to come through, let me read you some emails that we've gotten. What other show can you watch where the host sits here and reads emails while his beard is burning talking about Mormonism? <laughs> okay. Uh, this is a great email. This is from Matthew, and it says, I am an active Mormon. I love your show. I love your website especially your mission statement. I deeply respect the spiritual journey you've been on and the efforts you've made to find the truth and your enthusiastic and powerful encouragement to others to find it. Unfortunately, I'm moving to California. What I really want to say is I'm glad that what you are doing and I hope that you take as many Mormons out of the church as you can because so many members are lukewarm and don't know what they believe. I hope that all these lukewarm, uncommitted Mormons will find some spiritual resonance into what you and other Christian churches teach and find a more constructive journey to Christ. I love it because like I've always said, we aren't out to take the uh, time to kill the hair. We aren't out to... I'm probably going to light these notes on fire. Uh, we aren't out to get the stalwarts because the stalwarts don't believe anything we say anyway. But if you've always wondered about this, and if you've always wondered what kind of religion this is that you're part of, and you haven't established a relationship with Jesus Christ, we petition you to come to know Him through spiritual rebirth, and you'll see the shackles of any legalistic religion fall. So that was a great, uh, that was a great comment by uh, Matthew in... in uh, Salt Lake, who's now moved to California. We're going to go to Sarah on line one. Sarah, you are on Heart of the Matter. Hi. Hi, how are you? I'm just fine. How are you this evening? A little smoked out here, but I'm doing all right. Yeah, I'm so glad to see that beard gone. You look so much better. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I just have a really quick question, and it's just something that came up because um, I was talking with a friend the other day, and she was telling me, she said she couldn't understand how come your wife was still a member of the LDS Church. And I said, well, I thought that his wife was not a member anymore. And that was the only question I had, really, is your wife still a member of the LDS Church? Well, let me uh, explain. My wife was an active member, so were my children, when I left Mormonism. After they saw what the Lord did in my life, they came to know the Lord spiritually. They are born-again Christians, but their names still remain on the records of the church. Yeah. They haven't gone through the process of taking those names off. To me, it doesn't matter if they take them off or not. And often when you request to take them off, they don't take them off anyway. Yeah, she, it doesn't matter. If yeah. But so she's a member of the church by record. Sometimes that's beneficial to us because it allows uh, me to go sit in a sacrament meeting and everybody there knowing what I do, uh, they can't kick me out because I'm there with my wife who's a member. So uh, <laughs> it's worked out well in that way. Well, I just, I just, that question came up and I just wanted to answer it in case it, you know, I don't know that my friend's watching this the show and not or not, but uh, uh, I, I told her I'm pretty sure that she's a born-again Christian now, but I wanted to make sure. Praise God. And Praise God. I think she's watching the show, too. Okay, great. All right. Bye. You're doing a great job, Sean. Just keep it up. Thanks. God bless you. Uh -huh. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. I think I burned my thumb by that. 
Mormons are going to like that one. We have another call, Lori, on, uh, from Salt Lake. But let me just say this. Uh, we got an email from Alice C. And she says that her mother was a born-again Mormon, meaning that the Holy Spirit living inside her revealed that the Church of Jesus Christ is about and she wanted to leave and resign the religion. Her dad asked her if she would stay, and so her mom would go and read the Bible and, and would sit and overlook the congregation because she played the organ and just prayed for the members of the saints, but she says she knows there is such a thing as a born-again Mormon, and uh, I would concur with that. Let's go to Lori on line two. Lori, you're on Heart of the Matter. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Very good, thank you. Hey, I have a question. Is only certain men allowed to engage in polygamy? Well, you know now that they don't engage in polygamy. Right. Yeah, but uh, back then, um, I would think that only certain men were. I don't think there was uh, anything written that only certain men could, but it was really by virtue of uh, what everything is in the church. Were you called? Did the Spirit call you to do it? Did the prophet ask you to do it? Were you in a position to do it? And when all those things were kind of laid out there, then often uh, th those were kind of the pre-qualifiers. The church always says not everybody could do it. Only 5% or 3% of all Mormon men practiced it. But that's irrelevant when the doctrine is you can't obtain the highest degree of the celestial kingdom unless you do practice it. So that's really the important thing to remember, not how many practice it, but the doctrine was you couldn't go and live with God and become a God unless you did. Right. So that put a lot of men without even being able to become gods. Exactly. They were just normal men. They were just normal men with their normal wives and normal families. But you know what? Uh, it probably put a lot of stress on them to become better men so that they could practice it, so that they could reach the highest level. And, you know, you've also brought something else to mind. As I've researched more and more about polygamy, the women were at fault, too. Right. You know, Zinna Huntington, she should have, she, she was playing a power game. She was marrying every, every powerful uh, Mormon leader there was and leaving her own husband out. So the women were responsible, too. Right. Yeah. Good call, though. Thank you so much, and God bless. God bless you. Bye. Bye. We're going to line three, Matthew from Salt Lake City. Matthew, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean, how's it going? Good, how are you? How does the studio smell like a beard in there? It's smelling like a San Francisco brothel, I'm telling you. Yeah, I was going to say, I can't be good. Anyway, hey, Sean, um, listen, um, of all the egregious things about the, about the church and its history, I've always kind of washed over polygamy. Um, you know, I was, I was raised Mormon like you, and I've, I was always told that a lot of the plural marriages were, were not consummated, that they were not... Uh, a, a sexual thing so much it was about supporting these women and stuff and I always even as a kid I thought yeah that that sounds right no yeah. one, you know that's just not how men, men right work. Let's, exactly let's, and uh, anyways in hearing some of this stuff that you brought up in the last couple of weeks about Joseph I mean I, not to be vulgar but I mean seriously this, this is straight out of uh, Playboy magazine this is every guy's dream to right. have young woman after young woman and, and it's just it blows my mind that that this is not more of a more of a i don't want to say scandal because i mean it's you know 200 years down the pike but i mean it, it's just outrageous that they can kind of sweep this under the rug and say that oh we don't understand the context and whatnot i mean it's just it's just pure it, it's just licentiousness it's, isn't it, it isn't it amazing 
it, it's amazing. Is it's that amazing. amazing, and I like I said, I hadn't really focused on it too much. You know, like I say, there's a lot of things in the church that I'm not happy with. Obviously, in fact, most of it. But this this just blows my mind that he would go around stealing, you know, faithful faithful members' wives for his own gratification. It's I know. Outrageous. And and then and not only that, then after he's dead, they seal their children to the guy. It's surreal. I, I mean, gosh. I, I, you couldn't make this up. It, it's it's absolutely. It makes the harems of the the you know the sultans in in the Middle East. At least they weren't trying to steal the souls of. You know, I mean, it's 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 just it's just brutal what yeah. what what these guys were were getting away with. I can't believe it. Well, I'm glad it's uh, opened up some eyes, and I really appreciate your call, Matthew. Hey, listen, Sean, I keep trying to get down to squatters, and maybe tonight will be the night. I'm not sure if I'm going to make it or not, but it's always good to talk to you and watch your show. Take care. Uh, Bye. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Listen, on that, uh, I'm going to read something quickly. We have a lot of calls, but I just want to read uh, this from uh, Harry Frankfurt, Professor Emeritus of Philosophy at Princeton University. Princeton University was established as a Christian school. I don't know the date of this. But it says, in telling his lie, the liar tries to mislead us into believing that the facts are other than they actually are. He tries to impose his will on us. He aims at inducing us to accept his fabrication as an accurate account of how the world truly is. Insofar as he succeeds in this, we acquire a view of the world that has its source in his imagination rather than being directly and reliably grounded in relevant facts. The world we live in, insofar as our understanding of it is fashioned by the lie, is an imaginary world. There may be worse places to live, but this imaginary world won't do for us at all as a permanent residence. If you find yourself, as you've listened to this stuff, this is history, I'm not making it up. I can give you references, if you, whatever you want. If none of it is made up, if you're finding yourself feeling like you're not in touch with reality, there is a reality that is called truth, Jesus, and you can know him, and you can cut this stuff away from your present imaginations of what God is about and come to the real Lord and Savior. And that is the whole hope. If you love the church organization, I'm going to stand by. Let's not talk about that right now. Let's not talk about your membership. Let's not talk about your family, your job. Let's talk about your relationship to Jesus Christ. Have you been born again? Do you know he is the Savior and the only way to return to the Father? If you understand that, being born again, then we can work on those other questions. Wanted to read that. Let's go to Valerie from West Valley City on line one. Valerie, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. Hi. I have three comments, and I'm going to make them quick, and you can come back on them if you know the answers to them. Okay. Um, otherwise, maybe you can investigate, because I found these things to be truth, and you can, and they're documented. Okay. Number one is the destroying angels. Number two is the blood atonement act, and all of the blood atonement rituals that was gone through in this valley, including grave digging, kneeling in front, slicing throat, falling back in. And the marriage of girls as young as nine years of age. Those Val are the three things I want to comment on. Okay, Valerie, uh, before you go, let me ask you, what do you mean by commenting on destroying angel? What are you trying to, what, what is your comment in reference to? Well, there was a group in the Mormon church. Oh, okay, the Danites? The destroying angels, yeah. Oh, okay. They were the ones. In fact, all red in their polygamous group, right. still have their destroying angels, and that's who went and killed those people in all Red's group. Right. 
Uh, we're going to talk more about uh, the Danites when we get to that in church history. Now, what about the nine-year-olds? Where do you get this from? There are some uh, church books that um, were over in the library, and I don't have the reference right in front of me, but since you were on, I thought I'd hurry and call. Uh -huh. But some of the girls that were named as wives were as young as nine years old. Okay, that one I've never heard, uh, but if you can give me some references, love to see it. And the final one was? The, dis the blood atonement oath and the yeah. splitting that went on in this valley. We talk more about that as we talk about Brigham Young. Because I know there was one uh, boy that was 17 that had to dig his own grave and kneel in front and have his throat split because he wanted one of the girls that was supposed to be, one of the teenage girls that was supposed to go to the Quorum of the Twelve. Yeah, I've heard something about that. I'm going to check with www.utlm.org, Sandra Tanner's site, and uh, we can get a lot of very verifiable stuff. But good stuff, Valerie. I really appreciate you bringing it to our attention. Thank you, dear. Okay, see you later. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Before we go to Douglas and Murray, I want to say Ed emailed us, and he told me that I should not refer to the Mormon church as a church, that it is not a church, that it is an organization, and that... Um, I should, uh, that the church is made up of believers. And actually, Ed, you're absolutely right. The, the, the church is a body of believers. Um, but when you get to semantical arguments, you can start narrowing it down so much that when you stop referring things and that becomes the focus, it's tough to communicate. The Mormons believe they go to church. I mean, they believe it's a church. So I refer to it as a church to help uh, this conversation flow and not die on that hill and die on something bigger like Calvary. So we try to avoid those small ones, but your point is well taken. All right, let's go to Douglas and Murray on line two. Douglas, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yes. Um, Sean, uh, my mother was an all-red from a big polygamous family in southern Utah. My mother buried everyone she ever loved, her own mother, her brother, her two sisters. Six or eight of their children died of cancer. Her father and all of his brothers had diabetes. This is the Allred family. On my wife's side of the family, her father had ten, a total of ten brothers and sisters, six of whom have died of massive heart attacks before they were very far into their 50s. They had arterial sclerotic heart disease. These are families that lived in polygamy, and the far-reaching effects of polygamy are living with us today. My wife died at 50. Her brother died at 40 of massive heart attacks. My wife had never been sick a day in her life. Hmm. I was married to her 28 years. We had four sons, and she never went to the doctor until she died sitting next to me on the couch of a disease that was primarily something that came from polygamous families where sometimes sisters married the same man. Yeah. First and second cousins would have children in a big, large polygamous family, and then they would grow up and marry each other, which who knows yeah. what would make them first, second cousins to sisters that were married to the same guy, and we're all seeing the many, many medical, you know, really? family hereditary problems that we're seeing today. Great point, my friend. Thank you. Look forward to seeing you, Doug. Have a good one. Bye-bye.
Yeah, you know, God, he was able in his plan with Adam and Eve to propagate and fill the world and have it work. But, but when men try to take it under their own and they try to do the same thing with their own rules, we start to have genetic defects like that. And they say that uh, Utah is a really good place to study genetics because there is so much, one, genealogy, and two, there's a lot of inbred, uh, cross-pollinated relationships within families. And all the result of the uh, pioneer day, this is the right place to have a lot of wives and have a lot of children and uh, go from there. Let's go to Stephanie, line three. Stephanie, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yes. Stephanie, you're on the air. Hi, Sean. How are you doing? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing well. You know, I'm probably just going to reiterate a little bit of what Matthew had said earlier, but I was raised LDS, and in seminary, I was always taught, you know, polygamy this, polygamy that, and I had frustration and confusion by it, because in my mind, I had a hard time understanding how it could not be sexual, and I remember in seminary talking to the teacher, and he would say, well, you know, back then there were so many widows. It was such a hard life. And men would come, and they'd marry these widows to help take care of their farms. And it was never consummated. They didn't live together, this and that. But, of course, in my mind, that doesn't seem right, because then you would see the genealogy. And they obviously had to have been together because they ended up having children. To oh, yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, but... And then, of course, as a young teenager, it's confusing because you're taught your body's a temple and you want to save yourself for your husband. Yeah. But then on the next following Sunday, you're taught that when you go to heaven, your husband's going to have another <laughs> wife along with you. <laughs> it's amazing. It and it really takes thought. It, you have to think. You have to think about it. You have to suck it in and really let it sit in your mind in order for it to start to stink, especially if you've been LDS and you've cut your teeth on it and you haven't thought about it. So obviously, you were a thinker. You know, I think it's a shame that on the corner of, of South Temple and West Temple or East Temple that they have that Brigham Young house. I know. With all those rooms for all the wives. Still, I know. Yeah. I mean, it's still paraded there as though that was some great... They had to tear that sucker down and make it a, or make it a shelter for battered women. I know. It's amazing what they've got. Well, I can't help but say, and I, I, I'm probably going to have her name wrong. Was her name Zenny? Who? Yeah, I call her Zena, but it might be Zena. I don't know. Well, don't want to get her confused with that not warrior on TV. Rude, but there's, you can't help but hear that and say, well, she must have been a little hot number, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I know. <laughs> People wanted to, you know, have a life with her. But I gotta be honest, I'm probably getting in serious trouble here. Oh. But there's pictures of a lot of the polygamous wives in uh, Compton's book, and I just don't see the draw, man. I don't know what was going on. Well, wouldn't you like to kind of line them all up in a lineup and see who was picked up by other men and who wasn't? I'm sure that there would be something, a consistent factor with yeah. women that were picked up by yeah. other men. <laughs> and you know what else, which is interesting about this, is that you didn't have to have a husband that was bad or inactive. If a man had a higher priesthood, he had the right to come in and take your wife. Amazing. Yeah, in, in Nauvoo. And they disallowed all marriages in Nauvoo and said, everybody's going to start afresh so you can choose if you really want to do it. Because your original marriages were not valid. We're going to remarry everybody. So Nauvoo was like this great, uh, great social experiment. Really good comments. Okay, well, Sean, thanks for all that you're doing. I can't say that I'm born again, but one thing I can surely stand here and say is I am not Mormon. Oh, well. A lot of it has been from you helping give the, verb the verbal words 
to help with what you know in your heart is right and not right. Because, like, the one thing that you said is, you know, it's not so much the church, it's the culture. Right. The thing that's the toughest to shake. Right. So my daughter turned eight a few weeks ago, and not having her baptized has been a big deal within the family. But I'll tell you, within our own home, with myself and my husband, Mm -hmm. it's felt so right. Oh, good. Praise God. That's the Lord working in your life, Stephanie. Thank you. Have a good day. Thank you. Bye-bye. You know what else they did is uh, they wrote about um, uh, the moving of houses. You would move up in a house, you know, as, as you became more favored of the man, you would move up in, a, in the quality of the house that you had. Brigham Young behind that palatial place there right near Temple Square had a bunch of little cabins in the back, little huts where his other wives stayed. They never show you those. They tore them down. But, I mean, and ultimately, if you, I don't know what you'd had to do to move up into the big house, but you did something and you would get promoted up in there. So what it did, was it, t- it took like a, I mean, I live with five women. I live with my three daughters, my wife, my mother-in-law, and two female dogs. And, and there is a, they fight, man. And so what it did was it put these women at each other's throats and it just made the man a god. It's just wrong. Oh, let's go to Andy from Tooele, first time caller. Andy, you're on Heart of the Matter. Andy. Andy? Yes. We have a delay. You have to turn your TV off. Oh, okay. I didn't know. Um, the first question I have is, where did you serve your mission, first off? Pennsylvania, Harrisburg. Okay. Um, what was that experience like? It was great. I really liked it. I enjoyed meeting people. I enjoyed helping people. Uh, we spent a lot of time physically helping people on farms and things like that. The teaching of the gospel part, uh, you know, it was what I thought I was supposed to do. But the experience, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Okay. So why is it that you denied your testimony? What, is, what made you do that? Well, my testimony was not based on facts. My testimony was based on what I had been taught. There's a difference. You, you can call it a testimony if you want, but I had no true testimony because I didn't have the true facts. Once I learned what the facts were, I realized I don't have a testimony. So you understand that when you leave as a 19 or 20-year-old boy and you've been taught what certain things are and the facts are, you believe that's what is true and that's what you propagate, but it didn't mean I was right. I was wrong. And when I learned I was wrong, I pulled back. Well, I... All I can say is uh, I have a testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have a testimony of what Mormonism is. You don't have a testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hang on a minute. You see, what you're doing here is you're... I'm doing it. You are doing it. What I'm I'm saying is what what you're doing here is you're trying to tell me that you have the facts. Well, I do have the facts. That I do not... I'm not trying to tell you I have the facts. I have the facts. What I am saying is you don't, because if you have a testimony, you obviously don't have the facts. You understand that? I have that? a testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You don't, have because you don't have the facts. I know, and I know, and I know that you did, Sean. I know that you felt... You know that I know that I know that you know? Listen, you believe it, but you don't have the facts. If you had the facts, you would the never of Jesus believe it. Christ. I you don't. The Oklahoma City. You don't. Believe me, I do. You don't. Testimony. I know you think and I, you And I have the spirit of the Lord. Andy. I'm going to continue to strive to obey the commandments. and I'm going to Keep pull. striving because you're failing every day. You're and failing right now in your anger. If you learn anything from this, Sean, I hope that you will one day 
go back. And oh, of get, course you do. Get it, get it right. Right, because it would validate I, your beliefs. That's about all I got. To well, wait, Andy, don't hang up. Let's talk about some of your facts. Andy? Andy? I didn't call to argue with Let's you. talk about some of your facts that you know, okay? You say you know the gospel of Jesus Christ is true. You have a testimony of that, right? I do have a testimony. Okay. Well, let's just talk about that. Really, let's just talk about a simple fact about your gospel of Jesus Christ, okay? Okay. How are you saved? How do you live with God after this life, Andy? How do I live with God after this life? Yes. What's required of you as someone who knows the gospel of Jesus Christ? What is required of you to live? To follow, with, to follow the example of, of the Savior Jesus Christ. What does that include in your... Strive to, to treat others as you would like to be treated. What else does that include? I didn't call and I No, wait, Andy. I'm giving you a chance to now to share with everybody how I'm wrong. Andy, what else do you need to do to live with God the Father after this life? What else? Do I have to do? Yes, this, according to, you, to, to the beliefs of Mormonism. What do you, come on, let's I not, believe that you need to strive to live the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ as contained in the Bible, and also to combine that faith with the teachings in the Book of Mormon, which is another testament of Jesus Christ. Okay, anything else? And to also repent, okay. forsake your sins, okay. and to keep the commandments. Okay, and what do those commandments include? The commandments are those given in the Law of Moses. The, the Ten Commandments you're speaking thou of? Thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery. Okay. Thou shalt... All right, I know what the Ten Commandments are. I think our okay. listeners do too. You're, you're doing fine, except, what about going to the temple? Do you have to do that to live with God again? You do need to be baptized. Now, that's not what I asked of you. the Savior Jesus Christ. I didn't say baptism, I say, in which I don't agree with, but let's say that you're right on that. Do you have to go to the temple and receive the new and everlasting covenant and be sealed? What I, what I can't believe is you, you don't even believe in being baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Oh, I do believe in it. I was. I believe in it completely. Absolutely. But that's not my question. Come on, now, let's finish this up here. Do you have to go through the temple and receive an endowment and the new and everlasting covenant, and be sealed for time and all eternity to live with God again. Now, that's one thing that I believe, I believe is something that is necessary, yes. Okay, but you I, don't know the gospel of Jesus Christ, my one friend. Only. You are wrong. Right. Thank you for admitting it here on the air, because we, that has absolutely nothing to do with the gospel three, of Jesus Christ. And we have Christ. one wife only, not listen, two wives, listen. three wives. You don't know your doctrine either now. Now you're spouting without Andrew knowing the your church doctrine. church for a long time now, Sean. Read Doctrine and Covenants 132. About it. Are you going to face God? What are you going to do? I'm going to face God and say, hey, I have Christ. nothing I can offer here. Gonna, it was are you going to offer through his son. What? Say, oh, Lord. You know what? I had a testimony on my mission, but now I deny it, and now I'm trying to slander it. Of but course. Me, it Sean, wasn't a testimony. How are you going to feel at the second coming? I can't wait for it. I can't wait. Hey. I can't wait to meet my Lord and Savior who saved me from sin. Then I pray that you open your eyes and you figure it out. Okay, and I pray that you learn the facts about the thing you say is true. Buddy, I already have. Well, I know you think that, but you don't. And this is where you've well, proven I... yourself here on the show. You say you believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know you have a Everything testimony of it. Everything testifies that the Lord Jesus Christ lives today. 
Hey, I concur um, with that. You need to you need to just go back to the basics, and you need to strive. The basics aren't what save you, brother, in your church. The basics save me. Now, Sean, I didn't call the argument. Because you keep losing the argument. You. I you're not going to argue because you're losing it. Listen, I, it's And I faith. believe you did a lot of good on your mission, but all I'm saying is... The good, we don't do any good. You, you get off you, this high horse of have good. A lot of, we have a lot of common. We have a lot of common from our church to a lot of Christian faith. And I didn't call to argue, but all I'm saying... You've done, you've done a is, fairly bad example. Is, is, is I, we do believe in Jesus Christ. I didn't say you didn't believe in Jesus it's Christ. Latter-day Saints is a okay. church that believes in Jesus The Muslims Christ. believe in Jesus Christ, too. And they... And they what? They strive to live. They strive to live. And, and, and so that's enough? The Muslims are just as good, too? Is this what you're saying? I'm saying... You know what? You don't know what you believe because you can't have a consistent Christ. theology. What? Why, why would we be arguing, Sean, if we're talking about Jesus Christ, for one thing? Because we're not talking about Jesus Christ. You're talking about a myth. You're talking about the constructs of if, Joseph Smith. If you're talking about, I'm talking about Jesus Christ, Sean. Salvation is by grace if myth. you know Jesus Christ. That's a myth if you think you have to go through a temple. That's a myth if you think you have to do things they, they had, to earn your salvation. Well, That's a myth. Time of Moses. They had the time, they had... The time of Moses is a completely separate dispensation. What are you talking about? Why are you talking about Moses? About today. Jesus fulfilled the law and the prophets. You'd revelation through prophets and apostles. What's Hebrew 1-1 say about prophets today? continues today. What's Hebrew 1-1 say about prophets today, Andy? That God talked, through, uh, God talked to us through prophets of old, but today he talks to us through his son, Andy. Have you never read that? There is a prophet. Oh, well, of course you're going to testify now. You have absolutely nothing to base it on. You just testify because you know that you know. Andy, you need to come to know Jesus and be born again. And you will stop making these ridiculous calls. I do. I do. Are you born again, Andy? Right. You born again? I am born again. What does that mean? To be changed from your carnal nature to... A nature that wants to follow Jesus Christ. If you die right now, are you going straight to live with God in heaven? I pray that I will. See, and you just we said so much in those words right there. That's all we need to say, brother. I'll let you go. Okay. Squatters Pub tonight, you want to talk more or not argue more? All right. All right. Quick, Andrea, uh, line two, West Valley. Andrea, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. Um, yes. And um, I, this is my second time calling, not... Andrea, you know what? You only have 15 seconds. Okay, um, I'm going to make this really fast. Um, first of all, I got saved yesterday. I asked for forgiveness to God, and I my grand, and I was bawling a lot, and I really did get saved. Oh, and um, one, did you know that the world's almost coming to an end, and we're probably pretty safe, and I hope I'm going to be saved, and I'm going to meet you there. Heaven and the, you know the treaty? Andrea, you know what? You got to call next week. We're out of time, my dear. Call next week. Thank you for your call. I'm sorry we ran out. Listen, Squatters Pub tonight if you want. Lord's Word on Sunday, 9.15 to 10.15 at Gateway Theaters or at U of U. Go to lordsword.org. See you next week.